Who will be Kenya's next leader? President Uhuru Kenyatta is stepping down after a decade in power. Previous elections were marred by violence. Will it be different this time? And what's at stake in this vote? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. In London is Fergus Kell, a research analyst in the Africa program at Chatham House. And in Nairobi is Jackie Kwonike, a lawyer and writer. A warm welcome to you both, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Jackie, let me start with you today. Um, Elections in Kenya are often more about personalities and ethnic alliances. Are issues like the economy, the cost of living, and fighting corruption more front and center for voters this time than they were in the past? Um, I'd say yes, um, because the cost of living has first risen to an unbearable rate right now. Um, Kenyans recently had the president um, pass a subsidy on maize flour. Yeah, a packet of maize flour was retailing for maybe that would be $2 on your end, $2. And um, in Kenya, we had it was capped at a dollar because people, people, the financial and um, economic sentiments, we are suffering, we are struggling. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say yes. It's taken more center stage. And then for the first time ever, both front, the front runners are not from the main, the the part, the, 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 what do you call it? The tribe that's seen as the main tribe for, for, for political leadership. Mm. Uh, Fergus, how mm. close is the race expected to be? Uh, is it possible there could be a runoff? And, and have the candidates made commitments to respect the outcome? So I think we are likely to see a close race. I think uh, there are probably three likely uh, potential outcomes, any of which is possible at this stage. Uh, that would be either an outright Raila Dinga win, an outright William Ruto win, in which case either of the candidates would need to uh, receive over 50% of the vote. Um, but the third option, as you say, is a runoff in which neither of the uh, main candidates receives 50% of the vote. And that might be possible due to the two slightly more uh, peripheral outsider candidates, uh, David Moari uh, and Professor Wakajoya. Uh, and so it is going to be a tight race. Polling suggests that it, that it will be close and it will be about the, the calculus of different regional strongholds uh, and, and battleground states as well there. And in terms of uh, commitment to respect the results, I think uh, all the way back in March, we had both candidates uh, speak at Chatham House here in London, in which they both pledged to respect uh, the outcome of a free and fair election. And uh, in more recent weeks, in the last week, both have agreed that they will shake hands or or have tea together uh, after the result is announced. And so I think the important message there is that that they accept the results of a free and fair election. And if the election is deemed not to be free and fair, that they challenge that within the proper judicial framework of the Supreme Court. Jackie, I saw you nodding along to some of what Fergus was saying, so I'm going to let you jump in uh, and add whatever you'd like to add. But I I also want to ask you, um, you know, Kenya has a recent history of turbulent elections and, and violence after elections. Is there a concern this time that violence could play a part, and and from your perspective, have precautions been taken to ensure that this doesn't happen? I think um, 
I'd like first, I'd like just like to commend all the parties so far in how they've conducted themselves. For the first time in recent history, we've had a violence-free, relatively violence-free campaign period. Normally, during campaign periods in Kenya, we'll have many strikes leading up to the election. We're used to office closures. People can't access the central business district. This year, we've not had any incidences of that. And I think it's because of some of the commitments that have been made by the, the, the political candidates. And um, as a Kenyan, I'm really grateful for that. We've been able to, to work almost all through the campaign, all through the campaign period, not almost. And that's why I was nodding along. Um, their commitment towards um, shaking hands, it's because the general sentiment of Kenyans this time is, let's finish this and let's go back to work. Because truly, when I'll go back to cost of living, some people are literally living hand to mouth. So that's, that's the assertion that everyone's on. Uh, Jackie, you know, you, you were mentioning just there the, the importance of, of this idea of having a, a handshake. And I actually want to talk for a second about a different handshake that, that made headlines a few years back. Uh, you know, uh, Rilo Odinga has run for president four other times in the past, but this time he is backed by longtime political rival President Uhuru Kenyatta. And there was this very famous and public handshake between the two in 2018. How did the alliance between these two leaders come about and how significant is it? Um, it was significant in that at that time there was like work, work was that nothing was nothing had gone back to normal following the election period because there were, there were both both sides were, disca were disgruntled. Remember there was a ruling by the Supreme Court, rather judgment, sorry, by the Supreme Court that nullified the elections the first time around. And so when we when the second elections were held, um, a number of a number of um, the electorate, those who were supporting Raila Odinga, actually did not were, were urged to abstain from voting. So already, even though we went through the process a second time, the the number of people who felt like the issues weren't addressed, who did not even turn up to vote, were were, were sizable. So this, I think that that handshake was so that Kenya could go on, so that we could be. It was for the people. And I think at that time, it was very crucial. It brought peace, it brought normalcy, we needed it. And um, I know there's a lot of criticism around it, but here I'd be speaking as a Kenyan, someone whose daily life had been affected and would be affected if, the, if it had not been resolved. The handshake was crucial for returning us to normalcy and, and just for government business to go on, for daily business to go on, for our lives to move on. Because I. I notice we tend to focus on um, the higher stakes in politics and forget the people who are actually affected, the electorate. Fergus, the alliance between Raila Odinga and Uhuru Kenyatta basically sidelined Kenyatta's deputy, William Ruto, who is running. Um, what led to the fallout between Kenyatta and Ruto? It's unclear what the precise reasons are for the fallout, but there is a general understanding that it was linked to uh, a promise or an understanding between President Kenyatta and William Ruto that when they came together in what was uh, to some extent a marriage of convenience to contest for the elections in, in 2013 and, and in 2017, that Kenyatta would repay the favor by supporting Ruto uh, in his con in when he was contesting for the presidency following the end of Kenyatta's second term. Of course, with the handshake and with Kenyatta's public backing of Odinga and of the BBI initiative that emerged from that, we have seen that that promise, whether it was made, has not 
has not been fulfilled. And so Ruto, in his own ambitions to ascend to the presidency, split off from Kenyatta, distanced himself from cabinet meetings and ended up uh, leaving the party that they formed together. Jackie, uh, William Ruto describes himself as a hustler, and he has cast this race as a contest between hustlers and dynasties. So what does he mean when he uses the term hustler versus when he uses the term dynasty? And and has this framing device that, that Ruto is using, has it caught on? Is it having a big impact uh, in the election uh, thus far in the campaigning? Okay. Um, for context, our current president was the son of our founding president, and uh, Raila Odinga's father, Bilit Jaramogi, Oginga Odinga was one of Kenya's vice presidents. So they are considered dynasty by virtue of the fact that their fathers have held positions of power. And uh, Ruto, where, um, rather, is claiming that he rose from being the son of a nobody um, to, to where he is, that he's, he's claiming his claims that he's self made, he's come up. And um, that, I guess, is his appeal and how he's trying to be more relatable to the masses um, for Kenyans, for those who, honestly, because the majority of Kenyans live below the poverty line. So it's, if I could get here, you can get here. I'm the son of no one, and very many people can relate to that message. I think it has resonated with some people. Fergus, um, what are the main issues that are separating the leading candidates this time out? What, what platforms are they running on? So I would say that there has broadly been increasing convergence between the two candidates on key manifesto issues, but there are a few that separate them to some extent. Uh, one of them, I would say, is corruption in that Raila Odinga has been campaigning on a very strong uh, zero tolerance to corruption platform. That's one of his key uh, messages throughout the campaign, whereas for, for Ruto, that's been less of a feature of, of his campaign, and he's chosen instead to to emphasize the need uh, for independence in the anti-corruption agencies in, in Kenya so, and the need to depoliticize the fight against corruption in Kenya. There's also on debt, there's some uh, divergence there in terms of uh, Ruto is, uh, is fairly sure that his uh, campaign promises in broadening the tax base would allow Kenya to tackle its, its, tax, its uh, debt issues whereas Odinga has promised to restructure and renegotiate some of the debt burden. Uh, I think there's also a general slight difference in terms of the, the focus of their campaign. So uh, Odinga is being much more focused on social protection, on healthcare promises in particular, whereas Ruto has a real strong emphasis on, this, uh, on his economic model, which he calls bottom-up, uh, and on support to entrepreneurs in Kenya. Jackie, uh, it does seem that uh, corruption uh, is playing a, a major role uh, in, in the campaign uh, season. How frustrated are voters with corruption in Kenya? And, with this, and, and, and do any of the, the leading candidates have credibility when it comes to pledges to, to tackle these issues and fight corruption? Um, I'd say Kenyans are quite frustrated. We have, we have on average two to three major scandals. Um, a year where the amounts are unthinkable for, for normal Kenyans. So, yes, it's frustrating to to, to majority of the electorate. I know it's a major issue as we go in um, to the election, to into the election period. And um, when it comes to both the candidates, 
here I mentioned, uh, I, I mentioned it yesterday and I'll repeat it again, but many of the voters are a bit, um, what would I say, hesitant to believe any of the promises being made because both, both, both the leading candidates in this election have served in previous governments, have held positions of power, have held positions of influence, and there hasn't been felt to be much um, traction or much um, change from, from, from them being in those positions. So I think there's hesitancy to believe them and are, I think the, there's a greater focus on their, other, on their other promises more than that, more than corruption. Fergus, I saw you nodding along to some of what Jackie was saying. Did you want to jump in? Uh, I would I would echo what, what Jackie is, is saying, that corruption has probably been supplanted by uh, broader economic issues as, uh, as a key campaigning uh, topic in this election campaign. But I, I would say that on your question around uh, the anti-corruption stances of, of key figures, that Martha Karua, the uh, deputy presidential candidate uh, on the on a, as part of Adinga's campaign, is seen as as someone with reasonable integrity when it comes uh, to the the anti-corruption um, issue. She's popular with civil society in Kenya um, as it relates to this issue. Jackie um, Rilo Odinga nominated Martha Karua as his running mate. Uh, she's a longtime politician, former justice minister. She's the first woman to be nominated as a running mate on a major political ticket. Has this choice uh, energized the electorate and has it given uh, Rilo Odinga's campaign a boost? I, I would say it has because she's never been seen as a front runner in terms of the, on the on the on the presidential platform in on a national base or other um she's not man, she'd never managed to garner that much support by herself however martha Carrera is a force and and having a woman who has been seen fighting for different causes um, um through the 90s the early 2000s and 2010s she's she's been very instrumental in a number of things and I think it has bolstered his campaign. Um, I think it's won him some confidence. Um, and uh, and I just want to see, I don't want to, I don't have time not to go too much into um, individuals, but, but I, I do think it was a good choice. And, and Jackie, um, have the political reforms that were introduced after the election violence in 2007, have those political reforms made it easier for women and even for youth to participate in the political process? Def definitely, definitely. I'd say the new constitution actually, 2010, has made it a lot, a lot easier for women and youth because um, there's a program called ADPO under which women and youth um, get 30% uh, of government, at least government business contracts, 30% are reserved for women and youth. And I think this has increased access to capital and funds for for those two groups, the women and the youth, and capital, at the end of the day, elections is about money. And if they have access to money, then you can move, can move, can you can move voters, you can you can make yourself visible. So I think this has greatly changed things. And also the one part gender role. There are more, there are more political offices that women can can go for, like the women rep. That wasn't there before. So I think that definitely, definitely, we're not where we were in 2007. And um, and I'm for one, I'm happy for that. Fergus, um, women make up nearly half of registered voters in Kenya, but compared to other countries in East Africa, Kenya ha still has few female elected leaders. Um, from your perspective, why is that? And are, and are there signs that 
things might play out differently this election cycle? Well, I think partly it comes uh, back a little bit to what Jackie was saying just now about the role of money in uh, in Kenyan elections. I think there had been a, a clear effort this time to pass uh, campaign financing laws that would have increased transparency and introduced spending limits uh, for the campaigns. Those didn't eventually end up passing. And, and so, you know, we have seen kind of unchecked spending by candidates, which again does make it difficult for slightly more marginalized groups to enter into the political process. I think as well, looking at the number of candidates who are contesting this time out of, I think around 16,000 uh, total candidates, only about 12% of those uh, are actually women. So there's clearly a long way to go on uh, on this front in order to uh, to achieve better uh, gender representation in, in kind of senior Kenyan uh, politics. Jackie, what about the youth in this election cycle? How invested are they? Are, are they more uh, apathetic? Uh, are they more uh, energized? And, and how much has the use of social media um, changed the campaign thus far? Um, I'll say, I think there's greater apathy amongst people who voted previously. The new voters are more excited. I, see, I, I think they're more plugged in. I recently saw... Martha Career opened a TikTok account and and I've been seeing the whoever runs the account is doing a good job in engaging with with, with the youth on it. And I can see some other questions are being are coming and arising from that engagement. Um and um Twitter, I'll say Twitter has been a great tool for different candidates to address issues. And um I can't compare the social media penetration that's there this time to let's say 2013. I think to 2017, there was a level of it, but I felt too, there was a lot of interference in 2017. 2022 feels a lot more organic, um, at least from what I've been able to witness lately. So um, for the youth, I think they're more plugged in. They're asking more questions. They're, I know I've seen a number of skits being run by Gen Z on um, what it feels like to be in a presidential debate, um, how, they'd, how they'd respond to different um, issues. And I've been quite impressed just seeing the uptake. I think the first time voters, the youth, those are the ones to watch out for. I think they'll, they may change everything. Fergus, uh, Kenya is East Africa's economic hub. Uh, how important is it to the region that, that during this election and, and after this election, things remain calm and stable? I think it's really significant, uh, not just in terms of Kenya's economic role, which is obviously significant, especially for the landlocked countries in the East Africa region, but also in terms of the benchmark that it would set for democracy. I mean, Kenya is the only country in East Africa to have overseen a relatively stable transition of power between government and opposition. And when you look at the current situation uh, in Tanzania or Uganda, for example, where the context has been really difficult for opposition parties to operate, I think Kenya leading the way in terms of uh, stable transition is, is really important. Also, when you look, for example, at the 2017 annulment, uh, the precedent that that set for the rest of the region and internationally was really significant. And we already saw uh, in Malawi um, in 2020, a similar annulment of a presidential result, which cited the 2017 Kenya ruling as a precedent. So Kenya really has the potential to, uh, to lead on this within the region and to act as a benchmark. Jackie, um, from your vantage point there in Nairobi, um, what's the earliest you think that official results would be announced? I think Friday. 
All right, well, it will be very eventful and interesting to see how it all plays out in the end. Uh, that's all the time we have for today, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to our guests, Fergus Kell and Jackie Kwanike. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohamed Al-Aishi, Jillian Wolf, Wasama Al-Luni, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Sarun Murali, Lynn Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.